Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Today we begin a brand new series called Micah's Message of Hope with a message entitled Micah's Christmas. So let's turn to the book of Micah as we join Dr. Newfeld now. You might remember that sometime after Jesus was born, a group of magi from the east appeared in the city of Jerusalem, and they announced that they had seen a remarkable star in the sky and assumed that its appearance was significant. They had no doubt, from the time of the Jewish Babylonian captivity, heard of the promise of the coming of a Messiah who would rule the earth and bring an end to evil. So they arrived in Jerusalem asking where the king was. Where is he? They asked everyone. And who? They responded. Well, the one who is born king of the Jews. And of course, King Herod, the madman and the imposter, was greatly troubled. He assembled the leaders of the nation along with the best theologians in the land. If a great king was born, he reasoned, then there was a rival to his throne and he would need to be identified and killed. But of course, Herod keeps his true designs to himself. Let's just identify the would-be king of Israel. And the theologians step forward. If the Messiah has been born, they say, then in order to find him, we need to go to the book of Micah. That book is going to identify the place where he will arrive. Micah said the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. Now, most of us have heard that story many times. And so we've memorized Micah 5 verse 2. One verse in that book, and I suspect if if we're asked what the book of Micah is all about, a great many of us would be hard-pressed to come up with an answer. But if you think about it, you might think of all the other verses from Micah that you remember, like Micah 6, verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Or how about Micah 7, verse 18? who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. Or how about the commitment of Micah 4 verse 5? For all the peoples walk each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Or Micah 4 verse 3. He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. And they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Yeah, those verses all come from that one small seven-chapter book of Micah, a book that's filled with a messianic hope, the very hope that we speak about this time of the year. And so I think it's appropriate when we have both the hope of Christmas and the darkness and the evil that abounds in our world to remember a message of hope that comes from Micah. So if you're looking for hope in dark times, Micah is just the book for you. So where do we begin? Well, let's start with a man himself. And I'm reading Micah chapter 1, verse 1. says, The word of the Lord came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. So Micah doesn't say who his family is or really anything about himself other than he's from Moresheth, which is a town about 35 kilometers southwest of Jerusalem. Given that he seems to know so much about what's happening in Jerusalem, it's probable that he lives in Jerusalem, but he's always known as Micah of Moresheth. Micah's also identified his time period. 
He mentions three kings. So let's just say that he didn't prophesy all the way through the reigns of, let's say, the first and the last king. But even so, I think it's fairly safe to say that Micah was on the scene prophesying for a period of some 20 to 25 years. It's also clear that Micah's career as a prophet coincided with the time periods of both Hosea and Isaiah. Uh, Would he have known those men? Well, I'm almost certain he would have known Isaiah, as there are some sections in Isaiah and Micah that are identical to one another. Let's also say that Micah lived in interesting times. Micah lived during the rise of the Assyrian Empire, and indeed, he lived to see the destruction of the northern kingdom of Israel. He was probably also alive when those same Assyrians surrounded Jerusalem and were threatening to destroy it as they had destroyed Israel. Only God delivered Judah at that time. Micah lived through times of great danger and turmoil. Armies were on the move. The future looked dark and foreboding. And it's this situation that gives rise to the words of this prophet of God. And there are two themes in Micah. One is the theme of judgment. The great armies that were threatening the existence of Israel and Judah, that wasn't because of bad luck or an unexpected twist in the political landscape of the Near East. No, no, this situation was because of God's judgment for Israel's sin. See, one of the two themes of Micah is that God is just. He's not going to let sin remain unpunished. And there's another theme, however, as well, and that is the theme of hope. God the Lord is also the shepherd of his people, and he will remember his covenant. He will find a way to forgive his people and then restore them. And this will happen through his chosen Messiah. And so judgment and mercy are the two themes of the book. And indeed, if you think about it, those two themes are the themes of the Christmas season. I mean, consider how John in his gospel says it. You know, the well-known John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now, if there's an appropriate Christmas verse, that would be it. I mean, after all, why did Jesus come? Not to condemn the world, rather to save the world. That's glorious news. While the wonder of that verse must grip our hearts, causing us to sing and to celebrate and to revel in the Christmas message, we must not forget that the theme of judgment is never far away. So let's listen to what John says next. John 3, 16 to 20. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works be exposed. And yes, the very one who was sent as an act of mercy into this world was also the one men hated, eventually nailing him to the cross. Judgment and mercy meet in the Christmas story, and they do in Micah. So over this week, I want to do a brief survey of the seven chapters of Micah and show why his words offer such a warning as well as such a hope. 
For today, let's cover the first three chapters. As we're going to see, those three chapters really are chapters of condemnation. We're going to see that Micah catalogs specific sins of the chosen people in his day. Those sins include idolatry, the illegal seizure of property by the rich against the poor, the failure of leadership to enforce justice in the land, the poor leadership of the religious teachers, corrupt business practices, and the increase of violence in the land. See, God has noticed, says the prophet, and if you break God's laws, there's coming a day of recompense. And so today, as we begin our study, let's see Micah announcing judgment on both Israel and Judah, chapters 1 to 3. Here's how the book begins, verses 2 to 4 of chapter 1. Hear you peoples, all of you. Pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it. And let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. And the mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will split open like wax before the fire, like waters pour down a steep place. You know, in the opening of the book, Micah portrays God as making a pronouncement from his holy temple, which refers to God's dwelling place in heaven. From his throne room of holiness, God is looking down at the disregard that people have for the law. And rather than simply observing and shaking his head in disgust, God, as it were, stands up from his glorious throne, comes out of his place, and puts his foot down on the high places of the earth. The high places of the earth is not a reference to the highest mountains of the earth. It's a reference to the religious shrines of the earth. That includes all the pagan shrines where the human family worships. God is stepping down on those shrines. He's not pleased with them. Indeed, says Micah, the mountains will melt like wax under him. And by the way, that is what happened in Micah's day. God had appointed the Assyrian army not only to destroy one nation after another, but they also proved that all those gods the nations trusted in were impotent, and they couldn't defend their people in the day of trouble. Well, they can't defend us either. Clearly, we need a Savior. Back to the Bible Canada is committed to the message of hope found in Jesus Christ. Jesus came with the grace of forgiveness and the truth which transforms. And your support enables Back to the Bible Canada to sow this biblical truth in a spiritual famine. By your prayers and generosity, God's Word grants light and life to families under stress, seniors isolated in apartments, truckers alone on the road, unbelievers whose hearts and minds are in turmoil. Now the month of December marks year end for charitable donations. This year, the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada are looking to raise $517,000 to reach our year end budget. We hope you'll stand with us with your year end gifts. This goal has been set not as an achievement, but as preparation and promise. To give your gift, visit backtothebible.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425. When Micah the prophet, speaking on behalf of God, speaks of judgment, he begins with Israel and then moves to Judah. Now, if you don't know your Bible well, that may seem confusing. 
But by the time of Micah, Israel had become two different nations, kind of like North and South Korea today. Israel was the North, and it was entirely given over to idolatry. Judah was in the South, and there the situation was more spotty and uneven. I'll get to that. But let's listen to what God has to say to Israel with her capital city called Samaria. Chapter 1, verses 5 to 7. All this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, a place for planting vineyards, and I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces. All her wages shall be burned with fire, and all her idols I will lay waste. For from a fee of a prostitute she gathered them, and for the fee of a prostitute they shall return." So Micah mentions first Samaria, which is the capital of Israel, and then later Jerusalem, the capital of Judah. But there's no hope for Samaria. Her sins are many, and all that's going to be left of that city is a heap of ruins in the open country. Indeed, the sins of the city are so great, the best analogy for what's going on, it's prostitution. Spiritual sins are so great, her unfaithfulness to God is so great, God's comparing the people to abandoning him and worshiping idols to a married man who abandons his wife and goes on to have relations with a prostitute. Listen, God remembers. And so God says, the images of the idols you have will be burned with fire and beaten to pieces so no one's going to remember them. And by the way, that's exactly what happened when the Assyrians destroyed Israel. Not only did they burn the idols, they also burned the entire city. Nothing was left. The population was deported, and eventually they intermarried with other people, and the people in the culture of northern Israel was completely wiped out. It was an open ruin. Michael lives in Judah, not Israel. And he's appointed to be a prophet in Judah, and he says there will also come, although it'll be later, a judgment to Judah. And then rather than speaking in general terms, Micah becomes quite specific. Chapter 2, 1 and 2. Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it, because it is in the power of their hands. They covet fields and seize them, and houses and take them away. They oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. Now look, those who devise evil and then pull it off, those are the people who have the authority to do it. These are the people in the land who have the law on their side, and they know how to manipulate the law for personal advantage. And they use that advantage to rob the weak and the powerless of the land they have so that Judah becomes a nation of landless poor oppressed by the rich. But Micah says God's noticing this. Look at verse 3. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, against this family, I'm devising disaster from which you cannot remove your necks and you shall not walk haughtily for it will be a time of disaster. That is, God remembers sins. No one's going to get away with anything. Indeed, right now, God is planning a time of disaster. And when we hear that, we might think of that time that would eventually be the time when the Babylonians would march into Jerusalem, kill so many, burn the temple, and take the entire population into exile, reducing them to slavery. Surely that time was a time of disaster. But the time of disaster in all the prophets also corresponds with something else. It's called the day of the Lord. That's the day when God brings an end to evil, and that's the day when the kingdom of God comes. 
Listen to how Amos the prophet spoke about it in Amos 5, 18 to 20. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light, as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or when he went into a house and leaned his hand against a wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light, and gloom with no brightness in it? See, here's the problem with waiting for the day of the Lord when evil will end. Yeah, indeed, evil will end, but God will find evil in us. And since that's undoubtedly true, we should fear and not desire the day when wickedness ends. And that's what we find in Romans 3. It says, all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. How then, if that's the case, can we expect that the altogether righteous God won't rouse himself from his throne and make the places of man melt like wax and reduce our proud cities into heaps of ruins so that there is no trace of them anymore? That's the question Micah asks. And to put not too fine a point on it, don't you think that's the question we should ask as well? But while Micah is preaching that way, and he was, he's also getting pushback. Indeed, there's plenty of pushback. Listen to Micah 2, verse 6. People are saying, do not preach. Thus they preach. One should not preach such things. Disgrace will not overtake us. Uh, Yeah, in Micah's day, they had their own version of the prosperity gospel. Just confess positive things. You're going to get positive things. We shouldn't listen to the hellfire preachers like Micah. He just brings everyone into a negative mood. Just confess that disgrace will not overtake us, they say. So how would Micah respond to this? Look at the answer in verse 7. Should this not be said, O house of Jacob? Has the Lord grown impatient? Are these his deeds? Do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly? I hope you're hearing him. He's saying, what constitutes good preaching? Well, it's the person who doesn't tell you what you want to hear. It's the person that tells you the truth. And you need to think about that because in our day, much like Micah's day, we hear people say they prefer preachers with positive affirming messages, not preachers who point out their sins and demand their repentance. It seems to me our days are very much like Micah's days. So notice what Micah says in verse 11. If a man should go about and utter wind and lies, saying, I will preach to you of wine and strong drink, he would be the preacher for these people. That is, all the bad preachers were preaching just what the people wanted to hear rather than what was true. And these preachers were preaching these positive messages or supposed positive messages for wine and strong drink. In other words, they were getting handsomely paid. It was folly. Micah has more to say about the false preachers in chapter 3, verses 5 to 7. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry, Peace, when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. Therefore it will be night for you, without vision and darkness to you, without divination. The sun will go down on the prophets, and the day shall be black over them. The seer shall be disgraced, and the diviners put to shame, and they shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. And then Micah turns from the false preachers to the political leadership of Judah, and it's a message that must have frightened them. Chapter 3, verses 9 to 12. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. 
Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house a wooded height. You remember that earlier Micah had said, do not my words do good. That is, if you listen, if you repent, this is going to be a positive message. You'll want to hear it. It will lead you to examine your wicked ways. You have to ask yourself, who's the real, the genuine preacher who offers a positive message? See, the positive message is that God is never at ease with our sins, that God will judge, and because of that, you and I should turn from our sins. Turn from your wickedness to God and live. Don't deceive yourself by saying, I have no sin. Now, all of this is the foundation of Micah's message. And you might say, well then, since the book is a denunciation of the sins of Israel and of Judah, and then by extension, also a denunciation of all of our sins, How in the world is this a Christmas message? I mean, after all, Christmas is supposed to be warm and positive and encouraging and speaking to us of the love of God. But please, if that's what you think, afford me the benefit of hearing the message of the angels in Luke 2, 10 and 11. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So who is born that day? Ah, yes, a Savior. Look, you don't need a Savior unless God's angry with us because of our sins. Unless you're drowning, who needs a lifeguard? Unless the building is burning, who needs a firefighter? And unless we're languishing in our sins, who needs a Savior? Christmas makes no sense unless we're hopelessly drowning. Thanks so much, John. You know, Micah might be seen by some as sort of a hellfire and brimstone preacher, and they typically don't go over well in our day. But is there a place for such a message from Micah today? Well, yes, but Ben, let me just back up just a bit. Not only don't they not go over well in our day, they don't go over well in any day, and they didn't in Micah's day, who has resisted solidly. I'm not arguing that we need to just get hellfire and brimstone stuff. I'm not arguing that. But I'm going to say this, that unless we get some hellfire and brimstone sermons, we won't repent. We need to recognize our dire situation. If we don't, we won't pay attention. So this is a message that comes from God, and it needs to be listened to even though it's not welcome. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, Micah's Message of Hope, right here on Back to the Bible Canada. Bible teaching you can trust. Christmas comes the same time every year, whether we're ready or not. We can't put the season on snooze until we're in a cheery mood. Christmas doesn't wait. It comes to find us where we are, as we are. This year, Christmas arrives to a troubled world. How can we celebrate Christmas in days of tension? It's in times such as these that Christmas is celebrated best. God sent his son as light and rescue in days of despair and darkness. The father didn't wait for the world to improve. He sent Jesus as help and hope 
for us all. In troubled times, we don't delay Christmas, we run to it. That's our prayer for you this season. On behalf of the whole team here at Back to the Bible Canada, Merry Christmas. Jesus has come and he remains Emmanuel despite difficult days.